Okay, I want to I preach uh, the next series on the lifestyle of Jesus. Um, because we've been looking at the lifestyle of Jesus, we've been reorienting our lives, trying to slow down a little. But if we just slow our lives down and we do exactly the same things as we were doing, if we just slow down pretty much in about six months' time, we're going to be back to the same pace. There's a two-step, two-step punch here. One is slow down. Number two, reorient your priorities. Don't just slow down doing what you're doing. Make sure that the things that you are doing are the right things to be doing. Does that make sense? So that's what we've been looking at over the last two months as a church. We've been trying to find this out. And uh, the basic idea is that if you want the life of Jesus to flourish in you, then you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You have to emulate Jesus. And so we've been looking at that. Today I want to look at the principle that Jesus was under authority. If there's one thing you want to step back and just look at the life of Jesus, the lifestyle of Jesus, you can't miss the fact that Jesus was in submission to his Father, wholly, completely sacrificed to his Father's will. This is his reality. Submitted to his Father's will, listening to his Father's voice, doing what his Father wanted. Jesus did not run around earth to do what he wanted. He said, I didn't come to do what I want. I didn't come to be served. I came to do my Father's will, right? This was an anchor. This is a lock in his heart and mind. And if we want to embrace the life of Jesus, we're going to have to start to emulate the lifestyle of Jesus. So the question you ask is, did Jesus always want to be doing the Father's will? And we know for a fact that when he got to Gethsemane, he goes, Dad, I don't want to do this. Isn't there some other plan? And then he realized, no, I know there's no other plan. Okay. Not my will. Your will be done. So we know that it wasn't always Jesus' preference. They came to him and they were, they were being obnoxious and he goes perverse and unbelieving generation. How long do I have to put up with you? Wasn't having a happy day, but he continued to serve them. All right? So Jesus said, the Father is greater than me. I do whatever he says. I only do what I've seen him do. These words you hear, they're not mine. These are the words the Father gave me to say. These works you see me doing, these are not my works. This is the works the Father. In fact, one day they, they got checked with him because he was breaking the Sabbath. And he goes, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm keeping the Sabbath. But the Father who lives in me, he's always at work and he wants to heal this guy. So he just healed him. I'm keeping the Sabbath. Don't blame me, it's the Father. He wanted to heal him. Jesus was under submission to his Father and he proved it. And if we want to embrace the lifestyle of Jesus, we have to step out into a practice of doing what Jesus called us to do. Not occasionally, not when I feel like it's potentially an option, not when it's convenient, fits my schedule. I need to be in submission. So I want to start with this principle and, and let's move on and I hope we can, just, we can just belabor this point a little bit. Galatians 5 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Don't use that freedom 
to indulge your flesh. Rather, serve one another. So when we preach this great gospel of emancipation, you're completely freed from sin and from the law. We preach this beauty and we go, hey, you're entirely free. But that's not the whole actual scripture. The scripture says you're, you're completely free. Yeah, now with this freedom, I want you to serve people. Well, I'm not entirely free then. I have to serve. Yeah, you do. And there's a danger in our proclamation of grace that we don't go the whole way. Can I have an amen? I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching at the person next to you. You can be joyful. You don't have to be. 1 Peter 2. Live as free people. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. You're entirely free. (laughs) Now take that freedom and use it to be God's slave. That's the gospel. So the principle is this. The first blessing is to hear the truth. The first blessing is to hear the word of God. After that time, the blessing comes when you put them into practice. Oh, I love that the, the, the beauty of this. The, the truth will just will make you joyful. It'll set your heart ablaze. Did not our hearts burn within us as we heard this truth? It's a wonderful thing to hear the truth. And you go, man, I got it. And then the second time you heard, oh, I know that. The third time he's like, why is he saying it to me again? The, the first time you hear truth is a blessing. After that, the blessing of truth comes when you put it into practice. Can you imagine you're teaching your child how to use a spray to kill bugs? And you, you, put, you teach them, put the glove on, and this is dangerous poison. You never spray it towards you. Always spray it away. Take a deep breath before you push. But now we're going to zap that cockroach. And so, you, and they all, they practiced and they've got the glove and they, they practice and they, and you practiced outside and they know how to spray and you go, there's a cockroach. Wait, no, no, spray it. And and they don't actually push the button. You go, no, no, spray. And the cockroach starts, you go, spray. They go, yeah, no, no, I know, I know. You go, no, no, it's not enough to know. It's not enough to know. You have to do. Because you don't need any more knowledge. You need to do what you know. Spray, spray, spray. Give me the can. And half the time, it feels like the Lord's going, hey, spray. Because 10 seconds after you do what I've told you to do, the enemy will be lying flat on his back, kicking his legs. But you have to do something. You have to do what I told you to do. Oh, bless God. It's enough that I know. No, it's not enough that you know. And at some stage, when we preach this gospel, at some point, we have to say, have you got it? Yeah. Good. Now, Do it. John 13. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Talk about life and lifestyle. Jesus is telling us a rule for life. 
Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Blessed is the one, Revelations 1, 3, is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it, and blessed are those who take it to heart. Two blessings. Blessed when you hear, but then you're blessed when you put it into practice. Jesus had a heart to do whatever his father asked him. He had given himself over. He had ceded lordship to his father. And he found great delight in people who likewise had made that shift in their heart. It wasn't, he was surrounded by Jewish people and by scribes and teachers of the law and Pharisees and Sadducees who gave lip service to God, but did not actually do what God was requiring. And so whenever Jesus came across somebody who was actually doing it, even though their theology wasn't perfect or, their, or even their orthopraxy wasn't perfect, he just said, I like you. You're part of my family. Matthew 12, Jesus was talking to the crowd. His mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him and someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. The other, the other gospel says they had come to take him home because they said he's gone a little loopy. And Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my mother. Jesus said, hang on now, guys. Let me tell you who my family is. The people who are vested like me in doing what God requires, that's my family. Greg, I thought this was a grace church. Absolutely it's a grace church. But I can't bring you to a place, put the can in your hand. See, Jesus went out and he died a beautiful death and he completely conquered the enemy and he purchased for you a massive inheritance and that inheritance looms over you, waits for you to, to put your faith and when you access that, you access it by faith and the, and the congruent works of faith. So he's put the the powerful doom spray in your hand. And, he's, and he goes, now spray that sucker. I, I understand. No, no, don't understand. Do. As Tyler preached last week, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? He said, if you... If you do what I say, you're like a man who builds his, his house on a foundation. If you, if you don't do what I say, you're like a man who builds his house on sand. That's going to wash away. This means you can keep as much beautiful theology in your head as possible, but until you actually do what you believe, it has no foundation in your life. Hello? So I'm talking today about closing the gap between what we say we believe and what we actually do. Jesus appears to John in the book of Revelations, the last words in your Bible and read if you have a red letter Bible. And what's interesting is Jesus doesn't say to the churches, hey, remember that you're the righteousness of God in Christ. 
Remember, my profound gift of salvation is easy and free and cheap to you. It is by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. This is a gift that I give you. He doesn't remind them of any of the truths of the gospel. What he does say is, I have found your deeds are not complete in my sight. Repent and do the things you did at first. I hold this against you, Revelation 2. You've forsaken your first love. Repent and do the things you did at first. Uh, to the other church, he says, you, you have the, among you people who hold to the teachings of Balaam. You, you think you can sell the gospel for money. You can sell gifting for finances. And you also have people among you, the Nicolaitans, who say that grace is a license for you to be sexually immoral and worship other idols. He goes, I, I, I don't like this. In the next church, he says, you, I have this against you. You tolerate Jezebel who misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating food. So it appears to me that you cannot just merely believe the right things. You must expel error and those who teach it. Amen? Amen? Oh, no, no, Greg, that's too harsh. We should just embrace people no matter what their theology is. No, uh-uh. We're called to think differently, and we're called to repent. And change the way we think. I thought this was a grace church. Absolutely, this is grace. Grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, the Bible says. That's what grace teaches you. The solid foundation of God, Timothy says, is, is fixed and you can't change it. It's Jesus Christ, what he accomplished on the cross and the teachings of righteousness. And when that foundation is laid, this is how you know the foundation has been well laid. It's sealed with this inscription. God knows those who he is. And anyone who turns to the Lord must turn away from evil. That's the foundation of grace. Must turn away from evil. Revelation 3. Wake up. Strengthen what remains. Remember, hold fast, repent. So Jesus is speaking to his church and he's going, guys, push the button. Get about it. Do the works you did at first. Be active. Oh, bless God, we're just going to worship and have good theology. Not enough. Because that doesn't actually put the, the power of the kingdom into effect in your life. So why, why are you preaching? Greg, this is a horrible message. Why are you preaching like this? Because <laughs> we've been preaching now for eight weeks. And I want to ask you, have you put any of it into practice? Daddy Daniels, who was leader of New Covenant Ministries, preached the message. And then he was traveling around the world. And he came back two weeks later because he ministered two other weeks. And he came back in the, and he preached at his home church again. Large church, mega church. And he preached and he preached exactly the same message. And about 10 minutes into his message, the elders in the front row were a little bit embarrassed because Dudley traveled so much. They were like, he's forgotten that he preached it yeah, two weeks ago. And they sent him a message. I go, Dudley, yeah, you preached this two weeks ago. And he goes, I preached this message and the whole church is laughing. Yeah, you did. He goes, I don't think I did. I go, no, you did. He says, none of you put anything into practice. I don't think I preached this. So the law of Moses, though rendered inoperable as a rule for life, can be used for teaching. 
because 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is God-breathing, useful for preaching, teaching, training, correcting, and righteousness, so that the man of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture, the law included, is useful. It, it ministers to us. All scripture is for us, but no, not all scripture is to us. Does that make sense? And just because we're under grace doesn't mean that we are without law. And therefore, we can go ahead and sin and do whatever we want. Well, I understand I'm under grace. I don't have to be disciplined. I'm under grace. I don't actually have to put anything in practice. Because grace, grace, right? So let me just talk about three laws that you are under, just to be so we're clear. Then we're going to wrap up with a little bit more clarity. Number one, we're all under the law of Christ, or what is called the law of love sometimes. Do you know this? Let me just give you a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians 9, to those not having the law, I become like one not having the law. Though I am free, though I'm not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. Paul says, I'm not under the law of Moses, but when I'm speaking to somebody who is under the law of Moses, I, I become somebody like the, under the law of Moses because I'm trying to win them. But he says, but I'm free of the law of Moses, but I'm not entirely free of all law. John 13, Jesus, a new commandment I give you. Not a new suggestion, a new, perhaps, consideration. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another, and by this will everybody know that you are my disciples. You want to talk about being a disciple of Jesus. Not a believer in Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, this is how people will know you are my disciples. You've put yourself under the discipline. You've come under my law. If you love one another like I loved you. See, under the law, there was this beautiful thing. Jesus changed the standard of measurement because before this, he said, they said, Which, you know, can you sum up the law? And he said, yes, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the summation of the law. And Jesus says, not enough. So I'm giving you a new commandment. That was the fulfillment of the law, but I'm giving you a new commandment. Not love your neighbor as yourself, because some of you don't love yourself very well. He said, I want you to love your neighbor like I loved you. Change the standard on us. I want you to love. Now, this is... Wow, bless God, I'm free. No, you're under the law of love. You owe me a, de you owe me a debt of love, according to Romans 12. Yeah. Hello. Just turn to someone and say, he, he usually doesn't preach this mean. Just go and just tell him. <laughs> Are you still okay? Are you feeling like I'm preaching anything that's not clear in the scriptures? As, we, as believers who participate in divine grace, we are called to live under the law of Christ, this law of love. And Jesus reiterated this on a number of occasions in many different ways, highlighting it, it as a commandment. This is a law, this is not a suggestion. John 15, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's command and remained in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love one another as I have loved you. 
1 John 3, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. James 2, I'm just reading quickly because I just want you to get a feel. This is not isolated. This is everywhere. If you really keep the royal law, the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. Galatians 2, and Paul goes, all right, we're going we're gonna to be people who keep this law. We are free. We've been emancipated from sin. We've been delivered from under the curse of the law. We've been brought out into a glorious freedom of the sons of light. And we are going to use this freedom to serve other people and to be servants of God. That's, that's what the freedom is for. In Galatians 6.2, he says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. We're still talking about the law of Christ, which we're all subject to. Greg, what does that mean? It means that we have an obligation uh, to one another, to love one another. Well, what happens if I feel grumpy? Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy and it doesn't boast. It keeps no record of wrongs. Always protects, always believes, always hopes. Never fails. But I don't feel like it. But Jesus didn't feel like it most of the time. Well, I don't want to be loving. Well, then be patient and kind. Forgetful when they do wrong things. Why? Because it's a commandment. And you're under this law. Well, I don't feel like I need to be. You can't be a disciple of Jesus and not be submitted to this law. Second law you're under, we're under, the law of the spirit of life. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life will set you free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life is that when you believe in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, you are being given life, not because of your behavior or because of the other things you did, but because the spirit of God who is in you now takes up residence and he has the power to resurrect you from the dead. So the law of the spirit who gives life, when you do something stupid, it doesn't result in death. The law of the spirit of life who lives in you is still giving you life, even though that thing that you did, we'd have previously given you death, it's now still life in you because the Spirit of God, because the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It doesn't mean you should run out and test this. Romans 8, you, however, not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then Though your body is subject to death because of sin, you're all getting old and, you know, I blame it all. It's the bad breath and the pimples and the wrinkles. It's all Adam's fault. (laughs) 
But even though your body is subject to death, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. What a joy to be under the law of the Spirit of life, which means that when the Holy Spirit whispers to me, I need to learn to be quick to do what he says because his way is the way of life and resurrection. Do what he says. I'm under the law of the Spirit who gives life. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace, but the mind controlled by the sinful nature is death. I'm free. Not actually. You're under the law of love, the royal law that Jesus said. You're under the law of the Holy Spirit. But you're also under the perfect law of liberty in James 1. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to doing it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, will be blessed in what they do. If you take the scriptures and you, and you meditate on them intently and you put into practice what the Holy Spirit reveals, you'll be blessed in what you do perfect law which brings liberty. Why? You know, Greg gives us so much scripture on Sunday, I, I just can't eat another thing for the week. <laughs> Nonsense. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that brings freedom, whoever, I love the whoever's of God, because that means we're all on an equal playing field. Whoever Got nothing to do with your background, where you were born, how much money you have, how famous you are. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law of liberty and does what it says will be blessed. You don't understand my past. Whoever. You don't understand my current resources. Whoever. Let me close with five things. You say, Greg, that was great. I got, the, I got the point, I must, I must get off my rusty dusty and get involved. I must do something, right? I must engage, I must, I must take something that I've learned in the last eight weeks and I must engage with it. Yes, got that? Let me give you five suggestions that I think are gonna be helpful as reminders. So this is wisdom for the dark night of the soul. I think uh, we're coming up on a little while where we're going to need the oil of intimacy. I, I really think that those people who have taken some time to connect with the Lord in this season and who've pressed into their walk and prioritized that walk and are hearing God's voice, that is going to be so beautiful and so precious. For the next two or three years, they're going to walk in the light of that reality. No matter how dark the night is. And for some people... I think it's going to be a dark night. So here's the truth. Number one, prioritize the kingdom. Some people are worldly. You can feel it on them. They, they care about the world. They, they talk about the world. They, and I'm not saying we all live in the world. We all have to engage. That's, but they, their heart, their passions, their 
the focus is, is worldly. And there are some people who are godly. They focus on the kingdom. They ask about the Lord. They, in prayer, they tune their hearts to the Lord. They go, Lord, help me. Prioritize the kingdom. Make it a value for you. Number two, carve out time to seek Jesus. I can't do it for you, and you can't do it for me. But I can do it. And the God who sees what is done in secret will reward, because he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Whoever. And any effort you make to diligently seek will find its reward. I, I swear it to you. So carve out some time. Number three, build up your devotional life. Well, I'm in a great home group. I'm in a great church. We have great worship. I, I, my devotional life is... No, no, build up your devotional life. Your time of prayer. Your time in the Word. Your time of personal worship. Sorry about that. Is that me? Your time of personal worship. Build it up. It's like a muscle you can develop. Stir up your thanksgiving. Offer your gifts of praise. Go on financial adventures with the Lord. Ask Him questions. If a door's close to you, knock on it till it opens. Number four, tune your ears to hear His voice. Well, I don't hear God. Well, when last did you stop and take some time to hear? Take some time. Well, I don't have a lot of time. Pretty sure you do. Pretty sure if somebody put a gun to your head and said, if you don't carve out half an hour a day, I'm going to shoot your kids, you'd find the time. It's a matter of motivation. Sorry, that was a bad illustration. <laughs> so I, I heard it as I was saying it. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably not what a pastor should say. I had, a, I had a fake gun to your head. I was really pushing the limits here. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go that bad. <laughs> Number five, love his people. Love God's people. I think, I genuinely believe we're going to need to love one another. Because as we love one another, God's love is made perfect amongst us. That's what the scripture says. That when we commit to this, God starts to pour out something unique and special among us. And I'd very much like to be part of that. But none of us alone can get there. The only way we get there is that together we love one another. And into that bowl of unity, God pours blessing. And we all partake of something that we all help build. But we can't do it alone. Jesus said, 
Now that you know these things, you'd be blessed if you do them. The blessing is now in the execution. Spray that bug. Do that thing the Holy Spirit's been urging you to do. Step out and do something. Put something into practice. I've been so blessed by the people who called me. A bunch of people go, hey, you know, I tried that thing that you preached on. Oh, the Lord met me. I, I did this. I, I went out. I, I spent that time. I love that. Those are my family. That's my mother and brother. Let's pray. Father, to you belongs the glory and all the praise. And Father, I pray that you would do something for us profound today, that you would jolt us, Lord, out of uh, a willingness to hear and not do and into a quickness to do what we know is right. You didn't call us, Lord, to admire a vista. You called us to be participants in a grand kingdom. And so I pray, Lord, that you'd give a gift of godly sorrow and uh, a gift of uh, repentance and that we would be about doing what it is that you've called us to do. Lead us on, Lord, into this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.